1: Hey everybody, welcome to Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey friends, I'm Alicia.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. For two couples when you see the headlines, yeah. y'all not getting divorced. Not getting divorced. We're talking about the divorces that get our couples in the headlines
1: yes. together today. Yes. We have two very lovable couples who are, we think, happy and together forever.
0: We're using a Graham Parsons song today, Return of the Grievous Angel I think that's very fitting for both of our choices in our Trashy Divorce stories today. I'm just going to give a quick quote of the best melody of the song. I remember something you once told me, and I'll be damned if it did not come true. 20,000 roads, I went down, 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 and they all led me straight back home to you. That's the theme we're tying it together under. It's a good theme. Goodness, this week we have two couples who, after 20,000 Roads, did find each other. And the Trashy Divorce Sagas, that got them there. Stacy, this week you're bringing us...
1: Trisha Yearwood and Garth Brooks, country music legends who have three divorces between them to free them up to have a love story that's 20 years old now and good for them. You have... Amy Grant and Vince Gill. Woo. Amy Grant's divorce rocked.
0: Evangelical America and she was canceled. Yup. Yep. Early cancel culture victim there. Whole saga there. They are celebrating their 22nd year of marital bliss this month and we couldn't be happier, but we're going back in time today down those 20,000 roads to talk about how these couples get together. Less happy times. Before we do that, let's pull out our magic mirror Definitely. and give some big praise and thanks. To our new folks who joined us over at Patreon.com
1: slash Trashy Divorces this week. Thanks so much to Nicole B., M.K. Connor, M.J.H., Ida G., Heather B., Jennifer F., Karen K.P.,
0: and Kelda B. Thanks, everybody, for joining us over there for ad-free episodes, dumpster dives, spiderwebs. We're wrapping up Trashy Romanovs this week. Got a whole new Trashy Royal oh, yeah. thing coming. So, so Good. Thanks to you. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Thanks to you coming back and
1: listening to another episode of Trashy Divorces this week. Alicia, if we've got 20,000 roads to get down, 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 what should we do? They're going to lead me straight back home to you.
0: (laughs) We got to go, go, go. So, Stacy, it took a few times, but uh, Trisha Yearwood is in love with the boy.
1: She is. So, first things first, Trisha Yearwood and Garth Brooks are not divorcing. Hopefully, they never will. I want to clarify, if you saw the title and were like, ah, you know, like when your favorite celebrity is trending right. on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> that That is not what this story is about. This is the story of how this beloved country music power couple, married since 2005, finally ended up together, and the three divorces that it took to get there. Presumably everyone knows both of them. Garth Brooks is the best-selling musical artist of all time. He's won 22 Academy of Country Music Awards on 47 nominations, two Grammys on 13 nominations, and he's sold more than 136 million albums worldwide on the strength of songs like Friends in Low Places and The Thunder Rolls.
0: It's an impressive record.
1: It is an impressive record. Trisha Yearwood, meanwhile, punched into public consciousness in 1991 with the little song She's in Love with the Boy, and would later go on to broad crossover success in music, a side career in television and film, a second career as a cookbook author and cooking show host, and has won a ton of awards herself, including three Grammys, three Academy of Country Music Awards, three Country Music Association Awards, and if that is not enough... A Daytime Emmy Award. Talented. (laughs) Very talented people. So let's meet our happy couple and then get into the times they were less happy in couples. We'll start with Troyle Garth Brooks. He was born February 7th, 1962 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Into kind of an unusual family for the day. Both of his parents were divorcees. They'd both been married before. Oh, interesting. So he had four older half-siblings... And then he has a brother as well, so there were six kids. They grew up in a town called Yukon, Oklahoma. This is on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. And Garth's mother, Colleen Carol Brooks, had been a country singer back in the fifties, like with a Capitol Records contract. And really? Stuff. Like, yeah, wow. she had been a fairly fairly serious, and I think in her area very well known recording artist in her own right. So just an unusual family, humongous. Mom had a secret history as a rock star, you know. Like you do. Alicia, what is a budget-conscious family of 8 supposed to do for entertainment in 1960s and 70s suburban or perhaps exurban Oklahoma?
0: If it's anything like my family, it was a family talent night.
1: You guessed it. Yay! Family talent night. Every week all 6 kids were required to participate and to power through this particular family activity. Young Garth learned to play guitar and banjo, as well as worked on his voice.
0: I do love a family talent night.
1: I know you do. Like, (laughs) to a frightening degree. (laughs) He was also very athletic, and it was a track scholarship that took him to Oklahoma State Stillwater, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where he supported himself as a bouncer at a bar by night and went to class during the day. And he started a band. Well, Natch, come on. Of course, he probably missed his sibling camaraderie. Like, at least one of his siblings would go on to also have a career in music. And, um, like, she was even in his band for a while. Oh, wow. Touring.
0: You learned your chops in the living room.
1: There you go. (laughs) I know where (laughs) you came up. (laughs) After graduating with a degree in advertising in 1984, Garth was soon developing his musical voice in clubs and bars around Oklahoma. It was in Stillwater, also, where he met his first wife. Sandy Mall. This reportedly happened at the Tumbleweed Ballroom, where he was bouncing. And there are two versions of their origin story. Oh, goody. Yes. The tame one says that they met on the dance floor. Aw, oh, that's very nice. The much cooler version has it that Sandy was in the bathroom when a fight broke out, and a punch was thrown, and when Garth came in to break up the bathroom brawl, Sandy's hand was stuck in the wall from the punch going wrong.
0: Oh, my.
1: (laughs) Um, I hope it's the second. (laughs) Anyway, it was a mid-80s meet-cute. However, it went down. And after low-key college student dating, both of them were students at Oklahoma State. And then starving artist dating. Apparently, they took lots of walks together.
0: Um, (laughs) Have you heard about our family talent night?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They married in 1986. The following year, they moved to Nashville, and two years after that, in 1989, Garth's debut album was released and went to number two on Billboard's Country Charts and number 13 on Billboard's Top 200. His follow-up record, No Fences, landed in 1990 and spent 23 weeks atop Billboard's Country Chart and hit number three overall. His third album, Rope in the Wind, in 1991, debuted at number one. On the the top 200 charts, not just the country chart. But anyway, this is something that no country artist had ever done before. The launch was so huge that it propelled sales of the earlier albums. So Garth Brooks became the first country artist to have three albums in the Billboard 200 top 20 at the same time.
0: Holy cow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So as you can imagine, things were happening very, very fast in Garth's life at this moment. And I'm sure in those early days of their marriage, as his career was just exploding, Sandy could be there, was present for, you know, the highlights, the lowlights, the crappy shows, the amazing shows, all of that. And then in 1992, the first of their three daughters were born, which I think really impacted the internal dynamics of the marriage. Sandy couldn't just hop on the bus or a plane at a moment's notice anymore and Garth's career obviously required him to be on the road for long stretches of time, weeks and months. She was doing baby duty, and, like, let's assume that she had plenty of help. I mean, they had plenty of money at this point, but not from her husband, not from the kid's father. Um, Meanwhile, Garth was missing important milestones in his children's lives. By March of 1999, when his youngest was two or three, um, I, I recall that there were rumors that their marriage was in trouble. They did separate. I'm not sure that they announced that at at the time, like in March of 99, they decided to kind of take a think about this. Later in the year, he announced that he was going to retire from performing and focus on being a dad. Seems like they were still trying to work things through for a while. In a 2019 A&E documentary on Garth's career, Sandy was interviewed and said kind of about... I don't know the the breakdown of it, the strain of it. Uh, she said, quote, "People constantly wanting your attention and yanking and pulling on him. He'd be gone eight to ten weeks at a time. He'd come home, there would be number one parties or shows or CMAs or ACMs or American Music Awards. so it was constantly going. but we both grew apart really, really quickly. Yeah. She would later add, "I don't think either of us had stopped to think about how this would change our lives." Okay, so Garth, to his great credit after this 2019 documentary, was her, like he was asked about Sandy's comments several times. And in um, one, he said, She was phenomenal. I was gone so much on the road. There were things I guess she was trying to tell me that I didn't hear until this biography. It's rare you get to hear the other side. I just saw her, and I think I hugged her harder than I ever have now that I know things that either I didn't hear or that she didn't say until now. Aww. In a separate interview, he said, I heard things from her that she told me our whole life, but I didn't hear them until now. Makes a
0: difference, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. He continued, And so my respect and love for her is through the roof for what she went through and how she's handled it. Good dude. Seems like. Yep. Yeah. And so it was that on October 9th, 2000, the couple revealed their decision to divorce... They filed the following month, with the matter concluding in December of 2001. Sandy was awarded $125 million, which was the largest country music divorce settlement in Astronomical. history.
0: Astronomical.
1: At the time, and may still be. I'm, not, I'm not, sure. not sure where we are with that. Anyway, I may have mentioned that these are just all good people. Sandy took the money... <laughs> returned to Oklahoma and launched a Wildlife Rehabilitation Foundation. No. Yes. Oh, my God. Wild Heart Ranch near Claremore. There's an emergency wildlife clinic with, you know, staffed with vets and blah, blah, blah. And 40 acres of land for animals to convalesce on. Like, holy wild cats. I love it. That's
0: amazing.
1: It is closed to the public, unfortunately, um, as part of the federal and state licensing where there are wild animals it's a great way to spend a hun- you know, right? Like you, you've got more money than you will ever be Saint able to animals. spend in your life. That's so. amazing. Applaud. Trashy cheers. Rehabbing cheetahs. No, okay. Uh, she and Garth have also cultivated an extremely productive co-parenting relationship with their three daughters who are now all adults. And as all of the quotes above indicate, they're both generous in their assessments of each other. Garth walked the walk, too. He adopted a significantly lower tempo to his career. There were, like, no big tours. He still would appear for events and benefits and stuff, but through 2014, like, he was just like, nah, this is me dadding. Taking a break. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Not that dadding is taking a break, but (laughs) you get what I mean.
1: Yeah, so he says that they just made sure their kids saw both of their parents every morning and every evening. It's amazing. For 14 years. If his career scaled back for a while, rest assured, Garth Brooks' heart, as Celine might say, did go on. Hmm. Let's meet Trisha Yearwood. Patricia Lynn Yearwood was born in Monticello, Georgia. And yes, I am 99% sure that that is the correct pronunciation of the town of Monticello, Georgia. We do it differently down here, (laughs) y'all.
0: The South has its own rules. We
1: do. On September 19th, 1964, she's the daughter of a teacher and a banker. Her childhood sounds pretty idyllic. She grew up on a farm. They had cattle, hogs, chicken. When she was a kid, her dad decided to quit smoking, which drove him to take up baking to keep his hands busy. okay. Her mom was an exceptional cook. All of this would later inform her second career as a cookbook author and cooking show host. But we should talk about her first career, I guess. Trisha wrote a piece for Good Housekeeping in 2010 that had this nugget. When you grow up in a small town like I did, you end up being raised not only by your parents, but by the whole community. I don't know if I was a good kid by nature or if I was well-behaved, because I realized if I did something wrong, my parents would probably know about it before I got home.
0: That's exactly right. That's life in a tiny town.
1: Yep. She got music crazy from her parents' Hank Williams and Patsy Cline albums, and was able to begin her musical education through church choir, school talent shows, and musical theater in high school. She attended Young Harris College for a couple of years, which also certifies master gardeners and beekeepers in our fair state. And then headed to Nashville. (laughs) She attended Belmont College to finish up and also took an internship, which would turn into a full-time job at MTM Records. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. A funny thing happened in 1987, 13 months after Garth had married Sandy, and Trisha herself had just walked down the aisle with her first husband. Trisha recorded with the then-unknown Garth Brooks while both were learning the ropes in Nashville. They hit it off fabulously. And Garth promised to hand up if his career took off. They were friends from there on out, and Trisha opened during his 1991 tour. I mean, just wildly successful. I just, it's hard to... Anyway. In 2013, when Garth was on The Ellen Show, he said that meeting Trisha was, quote, strange because I felt that feeling like when you meet your wife, but I'd been married for 13 months. Being married, it's got to be right. This is who you went to college with. And you were married in front of God and your family and everything. So anyway. For Trisha, her first marriage from 1987 to 1991 was not her only divorce. She and her first husband were college sweethearts at Belmont. And the relationship, I think, just imploded as her career exploded. Makes I think sense. Just, We've yeah.
0: seen that happen.
1: Yeah. So yeah, she was going stratospheric and I don't know, it did not work out. Three years later, Trisha fell in love with fellow country musician Robert Reynolds, who was part of a group called the Mavericks. Everything was great for a while. They were in the same industry. They were equally passionate and ambitious about their careers. A touring schedule that has one spouse on the road 200 days a year, is just less of an issue when both of the spouses are on the road 200 days a year, and the trick is just making sure you're home at the same time, right? right? But at the same time, you're on the road 200 days a year. And so they walk down the aisle at no less than the Grand Ole Opry.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: Certainly signaling the authentic country spirit of the relationship, but it did only end up lasting five years because, you know, that's, that's a thousand days on the road right there. Yeah. When they filed, they cited our favorite. Irreconcilable differences. Indeed. Trisha has talked about how difficult her divorces have been for her emotionally. She's like, I am someone who clings to the past with every fiber of my being. (laughs) It is hard. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. In that good housekeeping piece that I referenced earlier, she wrote, I grew up in a place where most people thought if you weren't married by 21, you were an old maid. And I absorbed some of that mentality. Like a lot of young people, I found someone I enjoyed being with and thought, marriage is what people do. Even though my gut said in a very tiny, easy-to-ignore voice, I'm not sure this is what I should do. Uh And my communication skills were pretty horrible back then. I had trouble saying what I was really feeling. I had role models to show me what marriage was supposed to look like. My mom and dad, happy for the 45 years they had together. My grandparents, madly in love their entire lives. But until I found the love of my life, I didn't know what it actually felt like. Feeling deep, true love made me a little more compassionate toward the young woman I used to be. From the safety of the right relationship, I was able to look closely at my past and realize that back then I didn't yet know what I needed to know in order to make better decisions. And then she, in parentheses, writes, I'm not knocking my previous relationships. If anything, I'd like to say I'm sorry for causing another person to make a big mistake, too. Hopefully, we've learned some good, though hard lessons from what we've been through. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's, That's life. Yep. Yeah, she says it took her 40 years to figure all that out, but... When you get it, you get it. Yeah. Relatable. Okay, so her second divorce was finalized in 1999 and Garth's in 2001. And sometime in or around 2002, people started spotting them together around Nashville, even holding hands at the memorial service for songwriter Harlan Howard. While keeping things low-key for a few years, in 2005 they had a very public engagement. Here's how Country Living wrote it up. The couple got engaged in 2005 at Hee Haw star Buck Owens' Crystal Palace, oh, wow. <laughs> a country music venue in Bakersfield, California. They were there for the unveiling of bronze statues of Garth and fellow music legends Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, and Elvis. When Garth's statue was revealed, the likeness featured a wedding band on its left hand, a dead giveaway of what was about to happen. You're not going to do this in front of these people, Tricia asked, mock pouting But he did. He dropped to one knee and popped the question in front of 7,000 fans.
0: Holy cats. You got to hope she says yes after that.
1: (laughs) She's in love with the boy. She said yes. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) The wedding itself was a far more subdued affair, held at home with just four family members present which struck me as another example of both of them being super respectful of the 15 year long marriage that produced Garth's three daughters they could have made a huge spectacle of the wedding and instead they didn't they've been together ever since in 2008 Trisha released her first of three so far cookbooks which became a New York Times bestseller and led to her own cooking show, Trisha's Southern Cooking, on the Food Network. starting. It's in, a good
0: show. It's funny. In
1: 2012. <laughs> I'm sure it's funny. She's funny. Like, these are just, they're just people. It's really nice. Uh, so this would win an Emmy in 2013. Not everyone is a fan of Trisha's new career in food, however. In 2010, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine... Put Home Cooking, I think her second cookbook, on its list of the five worst cookbooks of the year, noting that her recipes are, quote, loaded with fat and cholesterol. Garth's Breakfast Bowl, they continue in a press release, includes eight large eggs, a pound each of bacon and sausage, cheese tortellini, cheddar cheese, tater tots, and butter. Oh, go talk to Paula Dean. <laughs> yeah, Alicia, I, I have ordered that book. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Trisha has talked about how one of the key strategies in the success of their marriage is that they are rarely apart, unlike both of their earlier marriages. She says that they spend maybe five days a year in separate places, like they just really make it a point to travel together, to tour together, to to just be present with each other. Garth said this to Ellen back in that 2013 interview, reflecting on the end of one marriage and the beginning of another. Uh, He says, you keep hacking at it, you work and you work, and then comes that time where you're looking at the rest of your life going, how do you want to live it? Trish is somebody who I always enjoyed being around and we had a lot more in common than I ever dreamed we did. And we started seeing each other after the divorce, after we came off tour. This is just an all Halos story for everybody. Sandy's out there saving wild animals. Garth and Trisha continue making music, cookbooks, and her Food Network show. And everybody just comes off as a genuine person focused on the right things even when those things are sometimes difficult and unexpected so just I don't know a country music hall of fame of halos to everybody in this story I love it
0: well done not trashy at all tricky right it was trashy at the time it people wanted to make it a lot trashier in the press they, I think than it really they was did. I
1: remember I remember um, when he announced that he was gonna stop touring or whatever that there there was a lot of like chatter about oh, groupies on the road and stuff, huh? Like, uh, like I don't know. Some of that may have been true. Who knows? But it sounds like these are more serious people than, you know, like idle gossip would indicate.
0: Let's take a quick break. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about a, another couple who got a lot of heat yeah. in the press yeah. for their respective
1: not trashy divorces too. <sighs> yep. All right. Back in one moment. See you on the flip, y'all.
0: If you have been thinking about your financial situation,
1: if you've been brewing questions you would like to ask a
0: financial professional, if you would like some guidance on addressing debt, investing, or other general financial organization, then in the immortal lyrics of Amy Ray, I said it's time.
1: Don't assume anything. Just Just go, go, go go, go. to theoaktreegroup.net. There, you will find the contact information for three holistic financial planners that have been working together for over 17 years. Kelly, Eileen, and Ellen will tailor a financial strategy for your unique goals and circumstances. You can also give them a call at
0: 770-319-1700 to schedule your free one-hour consultation. They would never use your years to psych you out.
1: Again, the phone number is 770-319-1700. And the website is www.theoaktreegroup.net. Go, go, go. Alicia, you have another couple of country music superstars who are not getting a divorce.
0: 100% no divorce, no divorce. We're going to talk about the divorces that led to two of the happiest lovebirds in country music. But it didn't start out that way. This month, March 2022, Amy Grant and Vince Gill will celebrate 22 years of wedded bliss. Wow, good for them. Amazing. Good on the both of you. This story is going to take us all the way back in time this week to 1999 and some cancel culture. Ooh. We all remember in 2003 when the chicks got canceled. Yep. But evangelicals and hypocrites... In the world, had plenty of practice before wow. that, warming up the cancel game in 1999 with the sweet and joyful and quite genuine Amy Grant for daring her to leave her completely terrible first marriage.
1: Oh, wow. Can't have women doing that. No.
0: Certainly not <laughs> acceptable. Let's get into it. We're going to start with Vince Gill and his first marriage to Janice Oliver. Vince Gill, born April 12th, 1957. He's an Aries man, born in Oklahoma as well. All right. A lot of talent that comes out of Oklahoma. 100%. Vince's dad is a lawyer and an administrative law judge who happens to like part-time in a band. So dad encourages Vince to play music. So music for Vince is just in the picture. He can play Mm -hmm. like six instruments. He's just really talented. He likes golf, too, so in high school he'll be on the golf team and join up with this local bluegrass band called Mountain Smoke. <laughs> he'll graduate high school in 1975 and move to Louisville, where he will begin to make the music things happen. He really got into bluegrass then. He's, a, he's so talented. Vince is going to play with Ricky Skaggs mm-hmm. for a little bit before getting his big break to join a band called Sundance, which is a bluegrass group fronted by Byron Burline. It's a big deal. And this new gig is going to require Vince to leave all of his East Coast and Middle America roots and come on out to sunny Southern California, mm. which he will. Late 70s. Janice Oliver, future bride, is in a band with her sister, Christine Arnold. They call themselves Sweethearts of the Rodeo, named after the seminal 1968 Birds album, Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Mm-hmm. So good. Janice, born March 1st, 1954, she's a Pisces girl. And she and her sister, by the mid 70s, are doing their thing. They first begin playing four nights a week, Thursday through Sunday, at Straw Hat Pizza. <laughs> In Manhattan Beach, right off the Pacific Coast Highway, and they're doing pretty good. They get noticed and through some fortuitous events, Sweethearts of the Rodeo become the opening band for this new music venue that opens in a strip mall called Sweetwater. Okay. The owner of Sweetwater has a vision, and Sweethearts of the Rodeo become the hella opening band for Sweetwater, which is getting a lot of really good acts. Sweetwater is allowing Janice and Christine to meet all kinds of folks. Willie Nelson, Lee Von Helm, Bonnie Raitt, Emmylou Harris. And the sisters are growing their talent. Like live music every night, whoa, will grow your chops as performers. Yep. But they're also making connections. And one of those connections is Janice meets a 19-year-old Vince Gill on the stairs at Stillwater one faded evening in 1979. Both Janice and Vince, big dreams of making it in the biz. The Lovebirds will get married in 1980. A daughter follows in 1982, and wowza, these kids are doing it. Vince is having a lot of success with Pure Prairie League. He'll go on to be in the backup band for Rodney Crowell called the Notorious Cherry Bombs. Vince is just a talented guy. Mm -hmm. Vince and Janice are going to move to Nashville in 1983, and Vince is doing session stuff While Janice's career with her sister is taking off. Sweethearts of the Rodeo gets a contract by 85. They're burning up country radio as a duo. They're doing great. Janice will take a little time to stay at home as well, because child, right? And the two do what they do, and they're going to have some years of good times and some years of bad times. Nothing too terribly trashy here. I just want to get them to 1993, when Vince Gill is looking for some talent for his Christmas special on television that he's doing with Chet Atkins. Let's talk about the other half of this couple equation. Amy Grant, born November 25th, 1960. Sagittarius gal. She's born in Augusta, Georgia. And Amy's going to grow up in Nashville in a close-knit and religious family. Like a lot of our Trashy Divorces alums, Amy discovers her love of music in church. She'll teach herself how to play guitar, She'll work part-time at a recording studio, and here she's going to make a tape of her music, which will get to a Christian music label, and that's how Amy gets a recording contract. Mm -hmm. In 1977, kids, her first album is released within the world of Christian music. Amy Grant, superstar. She is making traditional, religious music sound much more hip, much more modern, She's fusing a lot of traditional elements for a new sound. Yeah. Groundbreaking. Amy's going to attend Furman University. She'll transfer to Vanderbilt. But eventually she's going to be like, dude, formal education, not my thing. I just want to make my music.
1: Going to be a megastar.
0: Which is perfectly fine. She will be a megastar. Amy Grant's super talented. Yeah. Amy's going to meet songwriter Gary Chapman in 1979. And... Let's talk about Gary. He's born in Oklahoma too. Grows up in Texas. Gary's the son of a pastor. He's into God a lot and into music a lot. Gary's going to attend Bible college and move to Nashville and join a band. And here Gary meets Amy and Amy Grant is his poster on the wall. He is hooked. He writes songs and she sings songs. And wouldn't Amy Grant be the very best person to sing my music, She Is My Muse? Gary Chapman does write Father's Eyes for Amy, which is her first big hit in 1979. And I can see how all of this would be pretty heady stuff. Yeah. But the two are just friends. But again, Amy Grant, Gary's poster on the wall, his dream girl kind of nonsense here. He'll ask her out. She says no. No. He'll continue to ask her out. She'll continue to say no. Mm. Gary will continue to call her. He will send her tapes of all of his music. By 1981, Gary Chapman is her opening act without any kind of romance. Just like, okay, you won't go away. Amy says, I guess I didn't realize he was courting. I thought we were great friends. That's all. He became part of my family. They took him in because they thought he was just a companion to their little girl. It was pretty sneaky. Hmm. Gary breaks her down. The two marry June 19th, 1982. And welcome
1: to a long and rocky road. I was going to say, if you have to force it that much, it's not. Not 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 good. Yeah.
0: Two good Christian kids. Amy will let it drop in another interview that, quote, after a lifetime of anticipation, her wedding night deflowering wasn't quite what she had hoped. In fact, she termed the first four months a yawn. Good year, 1982. It's a big year. Amy's going to win a Grammy that year for Best Gospel Performance. So some exciting things happened. But immediately in, two years in, Amy knows this is all going south. And this becomes a real internal struggle for her. Right, As a deep believer in her faith, you marry for life. Yep. And there's no not being married, and her career is taking off, and... They're going to have three kids. Like she's in it. She's
1: in it to stick it out. Right. Well, and she's being showered with blessings. So, right. Like it's, it's, yeah, I, I really feel for,
0: uh, well, maybe, maybe not because Gary immediately is jealous of her career. Excellent. Mm -hmm. She'll say in 1986, it gets weird when I'm always in the forefront when he got a recording contract. That was really a boost for our relationship. Yikes. There's another time when Chapman is playing at one of Amy's concerts and not doing too great, coming off pretty poorly. and the audience starts booing him. and Gary Chapman will throw down his guitar and shout, "You're just jealous because I'm married to Amy Grant. Oh God, and then storm off stage. Thats That's great. That reviewer from that concert will helpfully add, then he, Gary Chapman, Hit on my friend backstage when oh my she God. was trying to interview him. Told her she was nice and curvy.
1: Well, this guy just sounds like... Oh, wait, there's more. Amy will come
0: out at the end of a show to take a bow one time, and Gary comes out to have her encore with Amy, and he'll take her hand and she snatches it away. Mm-hmm. The other fun thing that I need you to know is that Gary is addicted to cocaine from the time he's 20. Wow. Wow. So he is struggling in a drug addiction for the entire time of their marriage.
1: Gotcha. Which I'm sure makes all of his insecurities and feelings of unworthiness uh, all better. Yeah, he'll say, I had
0: two distinctly different lives. Different sets of friends, different likes, dislikes, actions, everything. There is a Texas Monthly profile portrait of him that will... Explain that Gary spends years simmering that his wife is selling out stadiums and he's with the band or with the kids. He will perform during her intermissions and no one pays attention. Gary says, I had a lot of reasons to be angry. (laughs) I don't think any of them were valid, but they were to me at the time. I know I felt overlooked. Wow. Four years into the marriage, they're already in therapy. His drug habit which has been very quiet up to now, now comes out in the open. Amy's dad comes over to talk to Gary. Gary's coked out of his head. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. And yells at Amy's father. I know what kind of problem I have. You might run the rest of this family, but you don't run me.
1: This is going great. It's
0: terrible. I mean, 1986 is a bad year. Four years in. Amy says, when I look back on those early years, While I have some great memories, they were some of the hardest years of my life. So lonely and confusing. There's a 1986 biography by Bob Millard of Amy Grant that paints a rosy picture, but Millard will give in a 1996 update that he didn't really write the whole story. He'll write later, The pain of a failing marriage, ironically undercutting a career that just kept on reaching greater heights, was so intense that Amy would lie in bed all day deeply depressed and unable to motivate herself to go downstairs for coffee by 1986 four years in the marriage amy wants a divorce amy's about to pull the trigger and she calls her sister mimi and mimi calls amy out as being a hypocrite how so hey you're so publicly christian and you're acting like god isn't big enough to help you
1: thanks sis really landing the good advice there
0: What I'm trying to tell you is the marriage didn't start good. It never was good. There are a lot of complications and a lot of problems. But hey, career's taken off. 1991, Heart in Motion and the breakout song Baby Baby, which Mm -hmm. is written for her child. Mm -hmm. This song people get mad about. Why is Amy flirting with a man in the... Like, whoa. It's about her kid. (laughs) But the grumblings, right, continue. They've already been grumbling back in the mid-80s when she's trying to be like a Christian Madonna. Why are you trying to make it sexy? Why are you playing with music like this? You're not allowed to be, I don't know.
1: I just remember the famous Amy Grant photos when she had the, the cone bra.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember that one was famous. That one. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I made that up. That's not with real. With
0: crucifixes on that. Yeah, one.
1: yeah, exactly right. <laughs>
0: Right. No, like evangelicals are already starting starting to rumble. Like her Christian fan base, you're selling out your gospel roots to be a pop superstar. I don't know if you remember all the music controversy, right? When music artists started to cross over and you weren't allowed to cross right. over. Right. Come on, y'all. Anyway, I wanna get us to nineteen ninety-three where Amy Grant is going to appear at the symphony in Nashville. And her management gets a call from Vince Gill and Shed Atkins like, hey, do you want to be in our Christmas special? And Amy's like, well, sure, if you'll come and perform at my symphony concert. Trade ya. Yeah. Fantastic. Sounds great. Now, Vince and Amy have met each other before. They both performed for the USO in Desert Storm. So they've come across each other. It's mm-hmm. not like they're strangers. Yeah. Amy has said to them, Man, if you were a guy, we'd be best friends. They like each other. They are they are instant friends. They really genuinely appreciate each other. So neither one has a problem with accepting this 1993 Christmas holiday bargain yeah. thing. This is the first time they really hang out a bunch. Gil will recall to Larry King in the early 2000s, it was just easy to hang out with her. The connection was there between us, and that was kind of rare. The hang was easy. The conversation was easy. Everything about Amy was easy. Like, sometimes when you, yeah, it's Garth Brooks, like, when you mm-hmm. know, you know, like, oh, my God, okay, I know. Amy Grant, for her part, will say, we got along like two peas in a pod and made no bones about it. You can watch them in this every mm-hmm. time they perform together because that's their thing. They'll perform together every holiday season for a number of years. Mm. And Amy's like, November would roll around and I'd go, hey, we're doing that Christmas show again. She just, she knows she likes him. He knows he likes her, but she's like, no, he can just be my friend. I am in my marriage vows with my husband. Yep. Again, in numerous bouts of counseling, big time problems. And the two are friends, but there's a spark. And the spark is so big that everyone notices, including both of their spouses. Janice Oliver tells her sister that she initially tolerates the close friendship, like, okay, whatever. But then she finds a handwritten note from Amy in Vince's golf bag that says, I love you, Ellipses Amy. And Janice is like, yeah, I don't care how good a friend you are. That's not cool with me. And tries to unsuccessfully ask Vince to not be friends with her anymore. And Gary Chapman, good Lord, will during their divorce rake Amy over the coals for liking Vince Gill. He'll say since the beginning of 1994, they had what I would call an inappropriate friendship, which was destructive to our
1: marriage. Big responsibility taker there. Well, Vince Gill, honestly,
0: on that Larry King interview, reflects in hindsight, like, yeah, I I can get how that would have been upsetting to everybody. They see each other around holidays, and they look forward to it, and there's nothing untoward happening. I think Amy is so founded in her belief. I mean, Vince, too. They both maintain no infidelity happens. They are ready to attest in affidavits that nothing untoward ever happened until they'd re- resolved their individual situations. And quite frankly, I believe them. They've been so good about it. Janice and Vince will divorce in 1997. And Vince says to Larry King, there was never like a magic plan. I'm going to do this. And a couple years later, you Amy go do this. I got a divorce and said, well, I think she'll probably stay in her marriage. I really did. He doesn't anticipate this is ever going to go anywhere. Amy Grant's friend reads about Vince Gill's divorce in the newspaper and calls Amy. And Amy's like, huh, interesting. (laughs) Hmm. But there was no possibility that he could ever be hers because Amy and Gary are in deep marital counseling at this point, 1997, really trying to work it out. Sure. Amy Grant says, the real pain of it is, once she found out about Vince getting divorced, she's like, the real pain of it is trying to take the high road. When you have such an easy rapport with another person, what it really does is highlights where you don't have as easy a rapport, which is she and her husband, and counseling is not going to fix what is truly broken. Divorce mediation begins in 1998 for Amy and Gary, The marriage is officially complete by June of 1999. They do divorce because of irreconcilable differences. don't have this quote written, but I did read it in my research. Gary's like, yeah, we had one irreconcilable difference. I wanted her to stay and she wanted to go.
1: (laughs) Paraphrasing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Gary begs. Gary pleads. To no avail. Amy's given that man 17 good years, and she is about done. And she'll talk about one of her counselors in that marital therapy telling her, God made marriage for people. He didn't make people for marriage. He didn't create the institution so he could just plug people into it. He provided this so that people could enjoy each other to the fullest. Amy Grant will say to CCM Magazine after her divorce, I didn't get a divorce because I had a great marriage and then along came Vince Gill. Gary and I had a rocky road from day one. I think what was so hard, and this is what one of our counselors said, sometimes an innocent party can come into a situation and they're like a big spotlight. What they do is reveal by comparison the painful dynamics that are already in existence.
1: Yeah, I think all, all of that is true. So the two complete their divorce in 1999. So big change. How did her fans react to taking the reins of her life?
0: Let's see if I can do this well. Welcome to cancel culture. Amy Grant is a scarlet woman mm-hmm. and an adulterer, too, and wow. a delinquent wife and mother. Oh, God. Dirtier terms will refer to her as a slut and a whore, okay. which is completely unfair.
1: Fantastic.
0: The main thought is how dare our Christian Barbie princess get divorced? My thought, lousy marriage, a lot of problems. I don't know why it took her 17 years, to be honest, but Amy Grant is taking heat. The radio has dropped her music. Her products are getting pulled from the shelves. It makes front page news when she actually keeps her record deal. Like she should have lost that too because of her sinning. Oh God, like. Evangelicals are mad. She is selling out on the glory of God for mainstream success. Wow. Now, after a little bit of this, you have to wonder if this is really the best time and use of your resources and fury. The New York Times will put it this way. Miss Grant sold more than 22 million albums and probably did more than any other figure to put a warm and winsome public face on a growing evangelical movement often associated with anti-abortion activists, disgraced television preachers, and Disney boycotts.
1: Yeah, Disney boycotts. Okay, so Amy Grant is happy you're
0: divorced. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. I don't know. We're going to go back to April 20th, 1999, when Columbine happened. Oh, no. Yeah. Amy Grant is asked by the governor of Colorado to play in the memorial service for that. And Amy Will, a father of one of the slain students, tells Amy, I'm just so glad I'm getting to hear you sing today because my daughter really loved your music and it feels like a connection to her. Amy and Vince begin seeing each other in 1999. Slowly, casually, there wasn't ever Mm a, oh, you know, nothing happened with the two of them besides they really, really liked each other. They worked their shit out and then they got together and had a grand love affair. That's the way you do it. I am super mad about this. Like, divorced Amy is great, but there's some kind of penance that needs to happen. This one really makes me mad. In 2002, CCM sent a reporter, Matthew Paul Turner, to interview Amy Grant. And he arrives at her house, and the editor has given him an ultimatum. If she doesn't make a public apology, she's not going in the magazine.
1: A public apology for leaving... For leaving a, a shitty marriage. terrible marriage?
0: marriage?
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, golly, that's a perfectly reasonable request.
0: And awkwardly, the reporter's like, are you going to apologize? And Amy thinks about it and says, do I feel sorry because my life hasn't turned out like I thought it would? And because of that, I have fans that feel disappointed or betrayed? Sure. I never make a decision without considering how it will affect all the people in my life. Sometimes I do that to a fault. The hardest part for me, Matthew, was forgiving myself. But once you do, you can't keep going back. You accept the grace and live. So, Matthew has got a great story on his hands, writes up his story the way he, the journalist, wants to write the story. CCM will run Amy Grant that month, but will rewrite oh, her quotes. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Using fabricated quotes. Wow. So you just heard all of that. What it translates to in revised editor speak is I did the best I could. And in some areas, my best was not good enough. I've made some bad choices.
1: No. Yep.
0: Not that terrible. That's beyond terrible. She got nailed. Yeah. She got nailed in this for literally trying to live her best life. Right. She and Vince do start dating 1999. In March of 2000, the two are gonna marry in a lovely hillside ceremony. They're delighted. Their children, who now are a very happy integrated family, at that point are not. Amy Grant tells Katie Couric, "I laugh about our wedding day because all of our photographs, I refer to my grim-faced children, but really Vince and I were the only excited ones." <laughs> <laughs> Today, and this is from an article in 2010, she speaks thoughtfully and evenly about the media firestorm that is swirling around her. As everybody's weighing in on her about the sanctity of marriage, Amy says, you know, I had bigger concerns. She'll say, I don't mean this in a flippant way, but I was so unconcerned by what somebody who I would ever meet wrote in a rag I felt like I had flipped a car over three medians and was trying to figure out if my children, if we all still had a pulse, I could not imagine going through life, not by Vince's side. Then I'd hear people saying, I heard so-and-so say they're not playing your records anymore. I had to trust that eventually everything was going to be okay. The passage of time for Vince, I do love this story because the passage of time does Help yeah. us, 22 years, like who's, we're, nobody's faulting Yeah, it. yeah. Vince Gill says, yeah, from time to time it still comes up and you want to say, come on, we beat this into the dirt. But we just dismiss it in a way that's respectful. Vince will recall a day a man comes up to him in a guitar store but says, I'd never met him. And the man says, I owe you an apology. When you and Amy got married, I told my children that you were wrong. And now I'm going through a divorce it says at that moment, he was glad he never lashed out at the finger waggers. Not all Christians feel and act and do things exactly the same. If you always try to take the high road, then everybody has a chance to benefit. Talking about taking the high road, I got one more quote from Amy here, where she's talking about having come to her peace with it and finding that grace. She'll say, Jesus led by compassion. No one has ever changed because of judgment. No one's ever healed through judgment. But we'll keep trying. <laughs> Seems like we always try to. Yeah. But all halos for Vince yeah. and Amy. Happy 22nd anniversary. Mm-hmm. 20,000 roads. I went down, down, down. And they all led me straight back home to you. I love their love story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am sorry for the pain. Like, But... Sometimes being divorced is better. Mm-hmm. Go live your best life and find grace in that, and joy in that. Yeah, we applaud that from trashy divorces.
1: We do. These are good stories. They're not trashy stories. I mean the, I mean the trashiness in yours is the public and the ex husband. Like, <laughs> wow. We love some happy endings. Sometimes yeah. after the ride of the last
0: few weeks, we, we figured we'd put in. Two happiness, well, happiness stories. Yeah,
1: we've we've had a fairly intensive few weeks. Thanks, everybody, for tuning
0: in and listening today. If you need more trashy divorces in your life, you can get some free episodes over at our Bitly link. Stacy, so tell the people
1: bit.ly slash trash candy. Just plug that into any browser.
0: If you need more than that, there are over nine hundred episodes over at Patreon.com slash trashy divorces, going back years. I feel like a wizened old woman at this point. <laughs> trashy since 2019. <laughs> hey, we're going to be back on Wednesday for a brand new episode for you. New trashy breakups. It's good, too. Stacy, you got that one for us. Mm-hmm. Until we meet again, darlings. Everyone, please wash your hands. Keep those hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Un- yeah, don't unlike... wash your hearts that much. But literally no judgment, y'all. Like, for real. Be good, be kind. Everybody can use a smile and a kind word these days
1: yeah that's the truth big
0: love friends keep it trashy in our kind of trashy way bye y'all bye and thanks to you for listening trashy divorces is a hemlock creatives production created and produced right here in atlanta georgia by us stacy and alicia